Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Tuesday, October 11th, live from my apartment and his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the show, we have attorney and political strategist Adolfo Mondragon. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this West Coast Chicago Tuesday, and here's why. Before I tell you why, let me back up a little bit. Just returned from Chicago, flew in the red eye. Boom! Late, late night, folks. I'm doing this on fumes. Yes, the great ones do it on fumes. I don't know if I'm great, but I'm doing it on fumes. Plane was supposed to leave at 10 to 11. We sat at uh, LA airport until 2.30. Then they go, this is always frightening. If you're sitting here waiting for a plane and they go, well, the plane you were going to go on is not working for some reason. They love to tell you why. They say it's not working. But we got it. Don't worry. We got a new airplane. We're bringing over from the maintenance facility. I'm like, I don't know if I want to get on an airplane that's just back from maintenance. Like, don't you test drive it or something before you, you know, anybody can put a hundred people on it? And that, pl- that plane was jam-packed, folks. I don't know if you've ever taken a red eye from L.A. to Chicago. It's an interesting concept thing going. You know, who's going to Chicago at 2 in the morning? And here's the other thing I thought about as I boarded the airplane. Now, this shows uh, where I'm coming from in life. I have never, ever gone first class in my life on an airplane. I must make that confession. My distinguished guest who's sitting back takes first class all the time. I know that. But I, he's laughing. But I've never taken first class. So when I get on, I always, and I like to be the last person on the plane. You know what I'm saying? I just like, get everybody on that plane, then I'll get in. I don't need to sit there another extra 45 minutes while people try to hit me in the head with their luggage. That's a whole other thing. Our whole crazy system where the incentive is to bring your luggage onto the plane as opposed to putting it in the, loading it in the plane. You pay if you want to load it in the plane. Makes no sense. Because now you got people trying to bring it in. You know, you're only supposed to bring in one little what? Little carry on or something they call it. Anything, human suitcases they're bringing in there now. Anyway. So I get on and there's always people, you know, I get, get to walk past the first class. Uh, section and I always think, well, I'm going to see some a celebrity there. You know what I'm saying? Like someone I know, like a, a like a superstar. Oprah will be there, or whatever. You know, Ozzy Guillen will be there. Someone I know, someone famous. Just I don't know why I thought. Well, I know why I thought Ozzy Guillen because my next guest and I are going to get into that a little bit. But I've never seen anybody but like ordinary looking schlubs. So I'm like, I'm broke. Even when you can't compare them to ordinary looking schlubs. I'm asking people, how much does it cost to take first class? Maybe I'll take first class one day. Anyway, that's not the point of the story. point is I was in Los Angeles. I was thinking when I was in Los Angeles, how different Los Angeles is from Chicago. So, for instance, in Chicago, 
there was dueling holidays. This is the front page of the Sun-Times, I'm delivered. Uh, Indigenous Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, battling it out with Columbus Day. So you have a faction of people who are celebrating Indigenous uh, Peoples Day, paying uh celebrating the culture uh, that was pretty much destroyed by uh, the settlers, the colonizers from Europe, as opposed to Columbus Day, which is a traditional uh, celebration day for Italian-Americans. Now, I've long advocated that uh, we should get rid of Columbus Day for a lot of different reasons, and let's keep the Italian-American celebration day. I have no problem with that. You know, I get in a lot of trouble with some of my uh, really right-wing Italian-American friends for that position, but that is my position. As a lefty, I suppose you can understand why I have that position. I do not, and I really do not like the way the right is totally rewriting history. To like turn it, MAGA is trying to rewrite a history across the board in many ways to try to use it for political purposes. But here in Chicago, it's battling out. You know, you got the folks celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. And the folks celebrating Columbus Day, and I'm in LA, and I'm like blissed out. I'm like, nobody, it's there's no battle here. It's only known out here as Indigenous Peoples Day. Why can't Chicago be more like LA? You know, why can't Chicago be more like LA? <laughs> that while I'm in LA, ladies and gentlemen, boy, oh boy, they had an explosion of embarrassment and humiliation. I don't know if you follow the Chicagoans. I know most of my listeners are from Chicago, and you guys are pretty focused on your own little neck of the woods. They had an unbelievable explosion of embarrassment yesterday. Turns out, follow me on this, ladies and gentlemen, okay? There was a private meeting uh, between the leader of the Chicago City Council, the president of the Chicago City Council. We don't really have a counterpart here in Chicago. The leader of the Chicago City Council is the mayor. <laughs> That's a whole other issue right there. The leader of the Los Angeles uh, City Council, Nuri Martinez, behind the scenes with the leading, the leader of the local uh, Confederation of Unions in Los Angeles, sort of our equivalent of the um, Bob Ryder's group here, the Chicago Federation of Labor, uh, and uh, another alderman or council member were behind the scenes having a meeting talking about redividing the city and who's going to get what. Just classic Ward Mac, Mac backroom deals as they redivide their city. And, uh, and they are just being so racist, so anti-Black. The things they said, there is a uh, the things they said about other um, members of their city council, particularly this a white man, a gay white man, follow me on this, adopted uh, a little black boy. And they, the things they said about that little black boy were unreal. And the things they said about the gay man adopting the little black boy were so hateful. They're talking about their colleagues. And then they just started... Uh, well, I, I don't really want to read what they said because it's so offensive. You guys go check out the article yourself. But somebody taped it. We don't know who. Somebody taped it, and then they put it on the Internet, and it circulated. And they couldn't deny it was them because it's clearly them. They may want to go down that path and say it was doctored, but I guess they felt nobody would believe them. So they owned up to it. And uh, as I sit here, uh, pretty much everyone has resigned, I think, uh, from their position, except for the, uh, one of the councilmen 
he's he's taking a leave. He's he's taking a leave, a break. He's like Draymond Green. He's taking a leave. When I when I uh, was reading this article yesterday, while still in Los Angeles, I thought of Adolfo Mondragon, my dear friend, election lawyer, expert here in the city of Chicago, former political candidate here in the city of Chicago, lifelong Chicago, and here uh, went to uh, Curie High School on the south side of Chicago, went to the University of Chicago for law school. And uh, Adolfo and I have spent hours, hours, my friends, talking about the peculiar Chicago psyche that <laughs> leads Chicagoans to say some of the crudest, vilest, most racist things about each other when they don't think anyone's, or they don't, not even thinking that someone would hear, not even thinking that there would be a blowback to it all. We both have been exposed to it. Adolfo more than me, because I'm not literally from Chicago, so I didn't grow up in Chicago, and I just, so I haven't had it in my face like Adolfo has, but came to Chicago right in time for the Harold Washington Bernie Epstein election, and I urge everybody to see Punch Nine, that movie about Harold Washington's life. If you want to see some real, vile, racist Chicago attitude, the kind of stuff they never talk about, you know what I mean? When like, we're promoting Chicago as uh, the great second city as we are, you know? Well, God, it's a new 21st century city. Come to Chicago, techies. Remember Rom going around this country trying to recruit techies to Chicago? He never once bragged about how, you know, how racist we are and vile we are and ugly and nasty. So I just immediately uh, reached out to Dolfo. Dolfo, you got to come on. I sent him the article because I wasn't sure it was circulating in Chicago. And so I just needed some thought. I, I just needed some help. Is Chicago's mentality spreading to the rest of the country like a disease? Or are these people more like us than they really want anyone to know? With that, I turn things to my dear friend Adolfo Mondragon. First of all, Adolfo, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I forget what you were, you were on the last time to talk about. I'm sure it was election law hijinks, something like that. That's probably what we were talking about. Yeah, um, I can't recall. But it's been a couple of months. In any case. Any case. All right. So I, I'm not sure this story broke in Chicago that was getting much play in Chicago. So I made a point of uh, sending it to you. I caught it on, uh, I think, the New York Times first. And then um, I read the New York Times article. But the first thing that came to mind, and apparently the first thing that came into yours, uh, was... Richie Daly talking about um, one year talking about the Irish um, American, uh, you know, parade queen or something. And the fact that she wasn't fully Irish. So he made some demeaning uh, uh, epitaph about her like German background or something like that. He was like, and, and, he, and he bemoaned the fact that, man, we can't even get a full Irish blooded girl to be the, the the queen of the parade or something like that. And I go, that's classic Chicago Bridgeport racism right there. <laughs> well, so, I, I thought this was an example of Chicago racism in L.A. Just the way you immediately categorize everyone. So, for instance, these were Hispanic politicians dividing up the pot or trying to figure out a way to hold on to, uh, to the precincts the that they want for the yeah. wards, uh, valuable businesses that they want for the wards. And they were referring to uh, the other political forces in the city as the blacks. 
You know what I'm saying? Uh, Adolfo will be like, it's not like Billy Bob, Alderman Billy Bob, who's black. It's no, the blacks. Like there's a collective entity called the blacks. Uh, that is so Chicago. We just got to do with this ward map fight. And it was the black map, the Latino map, the blacks, the Latinos. Dude, and then the word that, that she used in Spanish for the uh, black child. Oh, and, and you know, there's a, there's kind of a history behind that. Um, so she were, she used the word changuito, which means like little monkey. And, um, you know, Mexico and Latin America is also, despite it's, uh, you know, the fact that we're, we're, we're mixed, right? We're European and indigenous and African. Uh, it's, it's a mixture of different peoples. There is such a colorism and uh, like the old caste system from the, from the Spaniards and stuff still relishes in society today. And in Mexico, and probably in a lot of different other countries in Latin America. But in Mexico in particular, there was a comic book called Memin, M-E-M-I-N. And it was a little character. And basically, you didn't know whether he was like an actual human or like a little monkey. But he had the black face and the pouty lips, the exaggerated pouty lips. And he was oh, he was mischievous. You know, he was mischievous and he always got in trouble. And it was supposed to be humorous and funny. But, I mean talk about super racist right and um so that kind of reminded me immediately the the when she used the word changuito kind of reminded me immediately to these memin uh comic books that i mean they might still be around i for all i know but definitely were around like in the 60s and 50s and 70s in yeah, mexico it's sort of like Curious George. I don't know if you saw. Curious yeah, George. yeah, yeah, exactly. But the thing is, like, I remember you couldn't you couldn't tell whether this character was actually a human kid or like an actual little monkey or something, implying that you know there's that whole racist you know trope or whatever. But well, I, I I'll share this, and uh, folks, you're like hearing a version of a conversation uh, that Adolfo and I have had about I don't know how many times we're sitting up watching the White Sox, our beloved White Sox, get obliterated. Uh, it's been a rough season for White Sox fans. Uh, and this is a conversation we've had many times. Actually, before White Sox games, we would have this conversation for many years. Uh, and I, Adolfo, I was struck. And again, my na- naivete is coming through here. But some of the comments uh, that Hispanic people would make to me about Black people was just, when I was coaching, I'm like, you can't say that. I, I mean, about all I could say, sir, you cannot say that. Okay, that's really offensive. <laughs> what you said was so offensive. You know, I mean, you can't. Say, and when private conversations, I mean, like then they look at me like, "What's the matter with you?" You know what I mean? You know, well, number one, I'm not from Chicago. Uh, that may have something to do with it. But so, how uh, prevalent is uh, that term, that little monkey term used? Uh, have you ever heard it used before in this context? Oh, um, not often, but yeah, I mean, um, it's prevalent enough. I mean, cause like, again, colorism is a big thing, right? I mean, yeah. people th- throw out these terms like benignly, like they'll say like, oh, what a beautiful baby, too bad he's dark skinned or something like that. Right. Like not thinking that it's totally wrong to say that and insulting. They just say it like, oh, how, you know, how beautiful, despite it's, you know, like a curtain nappy hair or something like that. So um, it's it's ingrained in the brain. And, um, 
you know, you have to kind of uh, rise out of that ignorance. And if you, you know, if if your background is already, you know, you're, you don't come from a very educated background because you're poor, third world countryside. And then you come to this country and, you know, you're not you're not around people who are going to kind of like, you know, open you to the light. Um, it sticks around in there and you kind of think it's a benign thing to say. You don't think about it in terms of American racism. You just think of it in terms of like Mexican colorism, which is just kind of a matter of fact thing. You know? Have you ever had to confront this when you were coming up? Oh, yeah. I heard it all the time. Like particularly the, the, the things about people's beauty features and stuff like, you know, like, oh, she's she's very light skinned. She's very pretty. You know, just like, well, what does light skin have to do with being pretty? You know, I mean, um, to this day, I mean, aunts, uncles, you know, parents, they, they still think about it and they think about it in a very benign manner. You could have a dark skinned person say that about a light skinned person, like with jealousy, like, oh, wow, she's so beautiful. She's light skinned, you know, and they don't think twice about it. Um because it's so ingrained and you know that spaniard caste system i don't know how many people uh, have read about like colonial history and stuff but when the spaniards came over and then they raped the <laughs> the countryside and made all sorts of you know um uh they 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 categorized every mixture of person so like uh white european with an indigenous person would make something and they categorize it and then then that person if it had a baby with a black person, then they would be categorized as something else. So you get terms like mulatto and, you know, so forth um, based on whatever you are. And there's like tons of like categorizations. It's incredible the detail that the Spaniards went to, to like, uh, you know, make a record of how they wanted to, <laughs> you know, uh, profile people depending on, you know, apparently their, 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 their background and their skin color, et cetera. Now, um, so let's contrast that with just sort of your uh, typical white racism that you've been exposed to just by virtue of life uh, here in Chicago. And there's that famous among the two of us story that you've told me. Oh, yeah, with my friend from New York. Yeah, and uh, well, remain a name because I don't want him. (laughs) Yeah, he he did nothing wrong. Yeah, he did nothing wrong. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I would love for you to re- retell that story, clean it in up a, a little bit. For, for clean it up a little. Yeah. So the first time I ran for office, I have a dear friend in New York. He came over to help me out on election day and he's Puerto Rican. And, you know, of course he has African ancestry, European ancestry, indigenous ancestry. And, you know, so some of his physical features, you know, he's a little darker skin, Nice caramel color. He has, you know, a little curly hair. Uh, very attractive, good-looking guy, by the way. I must say of my friend. Anyway, he's there with my other friend from Chicago, and she's of Pakistani-Puerto Rican descent. So she's very dark-skinned, beautiful woman, by the way. You know, and um, she's a lawyer. He's, um, you know, he's he at the time, I think, he you know, he had just gotten his MBA or something. Anyway, both... You know, good-looking individuals, highly educated, um, and they're out there in Bridgeport at one of the poll stations. Um, and on the other side is one of these machine Bridgeport guys, and he starts chatting up with them. And at some point, 
the conversation turns because my friend is from New York and the guy from Bridgeport says something to the effect, yeah, in New York, I've never been out there. How do you guys handle your Negroes? But not using the word Negro. Um, and my friend was like, what? Because he's from New York. He doesn't experience this kind of Bridgeport. I mean, there's racism in New York, but it, it's of a different flavor and style or whatever, right? And uh, not this brute, blunt, in-your-face, like, hey, what's up? And, you know, um, and he's looking in disbelief, like, what? And the guy went on to comment something to the effect of, like, because here in Chicago, man, these guys are lazy. We got to we gotta work them hard to get anything from them or something to that effect. And my friends were just, like, astounded at the ignorance and also the, the brawls on this guy to just come out and talk to, to them, whether it was a, a, a mind-fucking tactic or it was just the way this guy, um, you know, talked, they didn't know, right? But I've had experiences similar to that in Bridgeport, like coming out of White Sox games where some of these dudes just, like, have no censoring device in their brain and they'll just start shooting shit like that, not knowing who they're talking to or what, but they'll just, you know, go on a conversation like that, talking to you like it's normal, normal everyday, you know, tay-to-tay. And it's just incredible. But that's the kind of stuff that you hear, it's particularly in my experience, from old-school Bridgeport people. Uh, yeah. And uh, I had, you know, she's just said that. I never thought that it may have been, not that this excuses it in any way, but it may have been what you said, uh, an attempt to mind fuck. Was that guy on the other side? Yeah, but I but based on my other experiences, it could have been that. But I, I I think he had already befriended them, so I think it was his way of just kind of be charming or something. <laughs> that's they're charming down in Bridgeport, you know. Hey, how you guys handle your Negroes over there? And uh, yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. Unbelievable, but it's not unbelievable, you know, because <laughs> it's uh, it's it's so Chicago. And now I'm discovering, of course. It's not exclusive uh, to Chicago at all. Now, let me again point out these were three, quote unquote, liberals that uh, were having this private conversation. They got taped and embarrassed them so much that they had to step down. Um, They are all educated. Nuri Martinez. Uh, By the way, they were also disparaging uh, uh, immigrants of like Hispanic immigrants as well. They were thrashing people. Oh, dude, they were equal opportunists, man. They just like, like shitted on everybody. Yes. Uh, what they said about the little boy though, really was, uh, the in my opinion, I mean, you to rank what was most offensive just cause he was, he's only three years old or four years old or whatever he is. It's just like, wow, man. You got, he was a, again, a black kid. Like you, just, <laughs> you got nothing, no filter, uh, as, uh, Adolfo says, you know, um, and, uh, so I can't blame it on a lack of education. I can't blame it MAGA for once. You know what I mean? I'm not blaming MAGA here. And I want to ask you this, Adolfo MAGA. One of the things they say is, uh, that the other side are a bunch of phonies because they do the same thing. They've been playing this game with the, uh, the immigrants that have been coming over, uh, crossing the border of Mexico. Uh, and so they're put, uh, in, in centers while their uh, applications are being processed. And so now uh, the MAGA governor of uh, Texas, Abbott, is dispatching them all to uh, northern cities, blue states, to say, oh, you're so uh, high and mighty with your sanctuary city? Here, take a bunch of uh, 
uh, refugees or immigrants. See how you like it to pull to show how phony they are. So that's one of MAGA's great comebacks. You're phony. We just speak the truth. You know, we hate you. Yeah, we hate everybody, and we're prejudiced. But we're, so are you. You just covered up. And then these dummies, these three dummies, <laughs> they kind of prove the point. So let me ask you about that. In your opinion, do you think there's a point? That MAGA has when they talk about the phoniness of liberals? Um, I Yes, but not in the way that they uh, spin it. You know, the, the, there's, it, there's a hypocrisy that progressives within the left or center left or whatever um, call their own party on. Uh, and then there's the hypocrisy that the Republicans kind of spin it and flavor it or whatever. Yeah, Democrats are hypocrites, big time hypocrites. So are Republicans, but it's not in the in the fashion that the Republicans talk about. There's, I mean, hypocrisy is kind of like a way of life to a certain degree, Adolfo. I mean, everyone is a little hypocritical. There's no pure people in the world when it comes to uh, living the enlightened life consistently, steadfastly. And so each side likes to point out the hypocrisy of the other. So MAG has been telling us for years and years and years that every fertilized egg in a woman's womb is sacred, absolutely sacred, and that aborting it is akin to murdering somebody that you see walking down the street. That's what they're telling us. That is what is pushing their legislation from one state to another, which is sectional, essentially codifies a fertilized egg as a living being, and it, he treats our abortion like murder. DB, Darren Bailey, running for governor here, state of Illinois, said that uh, the abortions that have been allowed in this country since Roe are worse than the genocide that Nazis committed against the, the Jews. He said it, okay? I mean, I'm not making it up. The guy running for state, Supreme Court for the state of Illinois, uh, up, up in Lake County, he he said that uh, uh, that John Lewis disgraced himself because he joined forces with Planned Parenthood and was committing like genocide against black babies because he supported abortions. He said it. So then we get to Herschel Walker. Turns out he paid for an abortion for his one of his many mistresses. And they go, wow, control the Senate really mattered. No, we, we go, look, everybody makes a mistake. We need the Senate. I'm like, what? I thought that's murder. You just, can we then undo all the laws? That's it. To me, that's a, the greatest single piece of hypocrisy right now in this country. Right. And I guess what I was getting to is kind of the same thing. It's like Democrats are hypocrites in the sense, kind of like Republicans in the sense that they, uh, they talk a good game about like the working class or whatever. And then they turn around and they do things for their corporate masters. Right. Um, but Republicans are like to go beyond that. They're on that game too, but they're hypocrites because they, they talk to white poor people and then they create like, you know, this scapegoat in, uh, you know, and say that black and Hispanics and all these other people are the cause of their, you know, miseries or whatever. And that's their hypocrisy. Right. So like, um, it's of a greater level because it's it's uh, it's more immoral in my opinion, right? Than 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 the than the Democrat who's a shill for some corporate company, right? I mean, there are shills on both sides, 
Uh, but these dudes actually go back and demonize human beings and say, you know, you're the cause of all our troubles. And that's their, you know, but, but then saying that they play by the rules and, and the reason why these other people are demonized is because they don't play by the rules, etc. And then it turns out they don't play by the rules either. And they, it, that's their biggest. Oh my surprise. God. Uh, yeah. It, it, well, the, the, the iron, the joke of it all is that there um, is a pack here in Illinois, people who play by the rules. And that's the pack that's putting out this really garbage uh, commercials that are supposed to scare white people into voting for Darren Bailey. They call themselves people who play by the rules. I'm trying to think, what rule has any Republican ever played by except by... Is that are those the uh, the purge yes. commercials or whatever? Yes. So wait, wait. I have a comment no. about that, and I don't think anybody has actually talked about this. But have you seen the movie The Purge? Yes. Or, yeah. or okay. The 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 stupid thing about it is is that the 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 law that's being passed is not a purge. According to the movie, a purge is a very Republican idea of allowing individuals one day a year to go and do any crime they want. The hope is that these elite uh, white conservatives, rich conservatives in the movie, are saying like, let the poor people kill themselves for one day and purge themselves from society and they're doing us a favor because they're killing themselves and getting rid of the the trash, right? And that's not what this law does. This, Or according to them, that's not what it does. A purge law would actually be supported by a, a, a Derek Bailey. He'd be like, I want a purge law, baby. I want people to kill themselves and, you know, whatever. So it's it's so stupid because they would actually be in favor of a purge law. Uh, listen, but that's just my that's just my. Uh, I, I, I hear you and I understand. And you're you you what you do is you have a logical mind trying to make logic of uh, senselessness and uh, prejudice. I'm the same way. With there's a group in Illinois called uh, Awoke. They're a right wing group. Paul Vallis got in trouble. They they hate gay people. Uh, apparently, uh, they got some real weird attitudes. Uh, about transgender. And uh, so they're the ones going around trying to scare parents in suburban school districts uh, into electing school board members who would like I don't know, new ways of teaching history. So like slavery is a benevolent thing, that kind of stuff. And they call themselves... We treated our slaves really well, you know. They call themselves away. I'm like, wait, woke. I'm like, wait a minute. You're supposed to be against woke, okay? You want everybody asleep. Yeah, you're right. They don't care. One more time, uh, Sam Holloway, my dear friend, the radical leftist who is so far to the left, he won't even vote for the Dems, but he spoke spoke truth. Adolfo, he came on this show. He go, Ben, you think it's going to score points for you when you point out the hypocrisies and the inconsistencies? Oh, I'm yeah. Like, they don't care. Fact, they don't care. It was win, man. Right, 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 right. Oh, man. It just seems so stupid to me but because it works for them. And I'm like, they would actually be for a purge law if it was a purge law. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll move on from the, the three councilmen in uh, L.A., move on to our own city. Uh, but shame on all you. Shame on you people in L.A., you three council. That was actually one, two council person and a union person. Um, all right, let's uh, move on to Chicago as we speak. Uh, man, it's, it it looks like it may get crowded there, a little more crowded in the race for mayor. Uh, every mayor, Lori Lightfoot is in the race. Uh, Paul Ballas is in the race. Jamal Green is in the race. Uh, and kind of hovering over in the back where Willie Wilson go on and on. I'm not going to do everybody. I'm just going to say there are some announced candidates in the background is the specter 
of Congressman Jesus Chewy Garcia, who ran in 2015 against Rahm Emanuel, forced Mayor Rahm uh, into a runoff. And that's when Chicago Minds really did become awoke to the realization that, wow, we have a runoff system in Chicago? You know, Chicago was always a little slow about these things, uh, Adolfo. They didn't know until that. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on now. There's a runoff system in the city of Chicago? No one told me about this. Yeah, it's only the law, Chicago. Anyway, um, I've been going around saying, I don't think uh, Congressman Jesus Garcia is going to run again. He's got a safe seat in Congress. He'll be congressman for as long as he wants. And uh, so I think he'll just stay uh, in Washington. But uh, I don't know, man. It, those rumors stay alive, stay alive. Your thoughts on that general topic. Uh, will Chewy run, Adolfo? Well, if he was a smart person, uh, he wouldn't. Like you said, he's got a good job. He could keep it for as long as he wants. Um, but, you know, hubris, right? People are in this game for a long time. They are part of, particularly him, he's part of a cult of personality. And that shit goes to your head really quickly. And even though he just got fucked by the CTU, in my opinion, uh, totally outmaneuvered because this guy thought he was the great savior, going to come down and going to get money from every place that gave him money last time, um, you know, learned a, uh, learned a lesson, I guess, that he forgot in uh, in politics. And, uh, and now he's in a position where he's without the main block of support that he had last time. But you know, I think I think from my experience, I think that this guy's gonna run, and he's gonna say like, "No, uh, people will come and you know they will gather behind me, like they did with Harold," and um, he's just gonna make a mess of it. Wait, so because at this right, point, let's break this down. At this point, he's at this point. I think, and you know, there I'm not these great Chicago political analysts that you see on TV, but I mean, dude, if the CTU. And the bulk of the other uh, uh, big uh, unions are going to line behind Brandon Johnson, who is one of theirs, right? An organizer, a guy who goes back, a teacher, um, which is really good reason to stick with him, right? Um, uh, I I think this guy's crazy for running. Where where is he going to get the money? He's going to go to Pritzker to get the money? I thought Pritzker, like, kissed and made up with Lightfoot, so... I don't know. I, I, okay, so let's just back up a little bit. Uh, and uh, Adolfo's been coming to the show for a long time, but some of you may be hearing him for the first time. Uh, he is very much of, I would say this, feel free to disagree with me on this, of the leftist persuasion. He's one of the most diehard Bernie people I know. Was for Bernie big time in 2016. I mean, big time. Even bigger than me time. And we're still defending. By the way, I can't imagine Bernie... Sanders being in a room when people are talking like this. Now you may say I'm naive in that one, Adolfo, but I just I just can't imagine Bernie putting up with the kind of talk that. Uh, oh no, no, no! That's the thing. I that's the one of the things I hate the most is how people demonize Bernie. Bernie's a decent dude, man. I mean, like, uh, but anyway, anyway that's so, so so this guy's a leftist, but uh, in his political career, he's been screwed over by Jesus Chuy Garcia, and I I've watched it from the from afar with disbelief. And I'm open about this. I say it. I don't know why. <laughs> I just don't. Again, it's another thing I don't understand about Chicagoans. Uh, but whatever. Anyway, okay. So um, we were on opposite sides in the 2015 mayoral uh, election. 
I voted for Jesus Chuy Garcia and Adolfo because of how Jesus had treated him in past situations. In part, in, in part, part, in part. Voted for Rom. We've been arguing about that. It's eight years. You figure seven years. The statute of limitation is ended. But I'll also add to, you know, just to take away my own personal bias from it, is I remember talking to you. I said, look, Chewy's got no policy platform. And to this day, people are criticizing about that. They're saying that if he comes back, he had zero. He, he's bad on the policy. He got chewed up in that WTTW uh, debate. And I think he lost a lot of people there. So outside of my own personal bias, I think that I was afraid, as many, that uh, this dude, if he got elected, wasn't going to know what the hell to do. All right, fair enough. You know what? I'm not going to relitigate that. I'm going to allow you to have the last. I'm not going to come back and talk about that. You know that's throwing raw meat at me when you bring up that WTT. You know that. But I'm, I'm going to be disciplined and focused. I don't want to okay, okay? I'm not going to take Bill Ponce and... The uh, <laughs> the son in, as a gang member thing. I'm just going to walk away from that. Just let it sit there. Well, no, besides that question, there were other questions in that debate. All but right. Whatever. Anyway. Besides that one. Other than that, just <laughs> what you think of the play? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, all right, we're just going to push that aside. I just wanted to set the table a, a little bit. Uh, but your, your, your basic point is absolutely a good one. I need, people need to understand this. And this is what really, really bothers me so much. It so much bothers me. It's offensive what happened in L.A., those comments about the blacks that the, um, the leader of the L.A. City Council made. Jesus Garcia, if you see the movie Punch Nine, owes his career to a black politician named Harold Washington. That Adolfo, Jesus is, uh, Chewy Garcia is in that movie. He reflects about Harold Harold Washington plucked him from utter obscurity and uh, gave him his endorsement, and that launched his career. In 2015, the great Karen Lewis, my dear friend, again took him from obscurity and put him at the forefront. And that's how he, as you point out, had CTUs and the left's endorsement in that run against Rom. Otherwise, nobody would know him. And now he's a force. And I just like wish, I just sometimes wish that um, people would give black politicians the love they deserve in many instances for like that. They have made careers, if you follow what I'm saying, Adolfo. So I take it kind of personal uh, what they were talk kept talking about the blacks, the blacks, uh, the way they did in L.A. But here in Chicago, it's it's a very similar thing. Uh, and you mentioned that Jesus had, Chewy Garcia has a cult of personality. What do you mean by that when you said that? What exactly do you mean? I think that... Uh... There's a lot of people who rally around him based on sentiment and this idea, this kind of Latino idea of presidentialism. I don't know if you're familiar with that, you know, and also this Latin American thing of like, you know, el generalismo, that kind of stuff where you build an image around uh, the sentimentality and uh, uh, the idea that there's this one guy who can do it all. He's the only savior or whatever. And I think that you saw it in the mayoral, mayoral election where, you know, it's all about the name Chewy and the mustache and all these little symbols about the individual. Whereas like Bernie, for example, let's counter it. Bernie, remember, always had that not for me, for us, 
that kind of thing. Like, it's not about me. It's for us. Hillary Clinton, on the, on the other hand, had the kind of individualist, you know, it's my turn. It's my turn, right? Proudly, it's my turn. It's my turn. Not it's our turn. It's my turn. Um, and Chewie falls along those kind of lines where it's about him. It's about him because he's this mythic guy who's going to take over for the legacy of Harold Washington. And if you look at his history post-Harold Washington, I don't know that you could say that, but whatever. I mean, that's what they're building on, right? So you build on this idea, kind of this Latin American uh, generalismo, presidentialism kind of thing where you rally around the the this individual who's like this outsized uh you know, a uh, figure who's going to come and save us all just because of who he is or whatever, right? And I think that there's a lot of that in um, in that campaign that he ran. I don't know if he could generate that again, um, but that's certainly kind of the feel that I, you know, got from that election. Yeah, and uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And uh, it's gotten to the point where uh, Jesus Garcia, uh, Chuy Garcia endorsement, uh, can turn the tides uh, in uh, particularly in the northwest. Well, well, his his coattails. I would argue his coattails are up and down. There's been election cycles where he endorses a bunch of people in wards and he craps out left and right, and then there then he'll follow it up with a, a good rally where he'll like win more than he loses. Uh, so I, I don't think his coattails are as strong as people say. If you look back at the last couple of election cycles, he's up and down. You know, some he'll crap out completely and then some he'll redeem himself and actually push a couple of candidates along along the way. In this last cycle, he had a good cycle with the congressional race up north. Right. Um, but but it's up and down the cycle before that. I think he crapped out on the aldermanic races. So, um, you know, so I don't think his coattails are as solid as people make them out to be. All right. So. um the, the the maneuver that Adolfo was uh, alluding to was the left essentially was waiting to hear from Garcia. Are you going to run? Because when I see people of the leftist persuasion wanted to run somebody for at, uh, from the left against Lori Lightfoot. We have plenty of candidates running against Lori Lightfoot from the right. All right. You know, I uh, just mentioned Paul Vallis. Uh, is, is Willie Wilson. They're all coming at her from the right. The left wanted someone coming at her from the left. Uh, and Chui wouldn't, he wouldn't make a decision, Adolfo. We're getting closer and closer. We were already collecting signatures to get on the ballot for the election in February. And so the maneuver that Adolfo was alluding to was uh, the Chicago Teachers Union uh, and Netta Working Families said, you know what? We're tired of waiting for you. We endorse Brandon Johnson. Uh, Cook County Board Commissioner Brandon Johnson, uh, Chicago Teacher Union activist Brandon Johnson. Uh, that's our candidate. He has not formally announced, by the way, as far as I know, and he is circulating petitions to get on the ballot. But as Adolfo can tell you, you can circulate petitions and then just not file. Right. You're not, you know. you're not a candidate until you're on the ballot, in my opinion. But going back to that point that you said about waiting, I just it just kind of clicked in my head. That, if you think about it, is probably, I could probably say, it's a strategy of Chewy's because you look back at the times that he's run, he always tries to build this thing like, I'm coming out of nowhere. I'm the savior. You know, like, look, think about it. When he ran to um, for the county commission, right, 
he didn't declare from the beginning that he was going to run. In fact, he'd been out of politics for, what, 10 years? He was backing Rudy Lozano. Rudy wasn't doing too well, so they were like, well, Superman's got to come in here and save the day, and he announced, like, with five weeks left or whatever, we're coming in, we're coming in, we're going to get petitions, and we're going to run, right? Kind of the same thing with the mayoral race, right? It was supposed to be Karen Lewis or whatever. He was, like, the third choice, I think, on that list. He wasn't Karen Lewis's first go-to. But, you know, they finally got to him, and then he was like, here I am, coming, I'm Superman, watch out. I'm going to come in, build some excitement. There's only a few weeks left. We're going to get the signatures. We're going to get on. We're going to move on. So I think it's almost like a strategy of his that he kind of, like, pulls back, tries to bring anticipation, and so that when he announces with, like, just the, um, uh, the right amount of time to get signatures, um, it makes it like this supernatural feat. We got all these signatures. We didn't even have all the time to do it. And we're on the ballot and we're moving and whatever. So if you think about it, it's kind of like his go-to. But this time, it fucking backfired on his ass. And it fucked him. Because, you know, he maintained that little, you know, uh, playbook. And that playbook wasn't good here. And boom, it burned him. So what's your prediction as we sit here right now on uh, Tuesday, October 11th, 2020? I think he's a stubborn man. I think he's a stubborn man. I think he has a lot of hubris. Um, I think he thinks he's the guy. I think he surrounds himself with a lot of yes people. And I think he'll announce, but it's not going to turn very well for him. Wow. Um, Okay. Just for sake of argument and betting, um, I will say he does not run. That's my prediction. I've been saying that all along, so i got to be consistent. (laughs) Well, again, I said if he was smart, he would just stay out. I mean, he's got a good job. He should concentrate on that job and actually do something for us. Um, But, you know, people who are about the position and a legacy and all this other stuff don't focus on the actual work. They focus on how they look or what they do. Um, I'd also kind of go back to this thing about elections. You know, these kind of big runoffs are really funny. Um, So so someone I truly think like, oh, I got it made again. You know, uh, I don't know that that's the way of going into one of these elections. I'll give you an example. At the last time, um, Susana Mendoza ran, right? She's a Latina. She's, so she's Latino, woman, um, very affable to the uh, particular to the white community, was backed by Jane Byrne. You would think, wow, all of these checkboxes, right? She had money, enough money to run, and her campaign went nowhere. You're talking about her mayor, right? Campaign. Yeah, her mayoral campaign went nowhere. Right. So someone on paper may look really, really good and will turn out like with 5% of the vote or something, you know, like goes in there and looks perfect on paper. Oh, wow. So funny shit happens in these elections. So for someone to think like, oh, I was the I came this close last time you run again and then you find out that you only got 5% of the vote. Yeah. All right. and, that, and that shit happens, you know, I um. Uh, so I have you, you. I have you predicting that he will run. I'm predicting that he won't run. Uh, we'll uh, keep this prediction out there, and uh, the winner will buy. I mean, the loser will buy the other one dinner. And there's this. I'm fucking to get you. Uh, uh, where they made fun of chimichangas. I'll never forget that. All right, well, then we're not going to take that chimichanga dive at this moment. Remember all that? Remember they go? Well, that's not real. Yeah, yeah. The one, the one dish I give you is not the like a hundred percent Mexican dish, so it gets uh, whatever. Anyway. It was delicious. I don't care where it's. <laughs> That's the point, yeah, right? I know. So, it's so good. All right, 
Uh, let's talk a little baseball. We close it down. Uh, both of us are diehard White Sox fans. Adolfo even more than I am. Uh, season ticket holder and uh, shares it with his friend. Um, I'm really rooting. I'm going to put it out there, Adolfo. And again, I know you will. Feel free to disagree with me vehemently if you want. I am really rooting for Ozzie Guillen. I've always liked Ozzie Guillen. I liked him as a player when he was with the White Sox. He's one of my favorite White Sox players of all time. I loved him as a manager. Uh, I feel he did get a little full of himself. Yes. Uh, You know, he led the White Sox to a World Series. The White Sox hadn't been in a World Series, been in a World Series since 1959. And he took them to the World Series and they won. I can't. Uh, the last time the White Sox won a World Series before 59, well, I wasn't born, obviously. But it was what, 1917, was, I think? Was like it that? that? Uh, was it- they lost in 1919 with the Black Sox. Uh, they- right, so it was 17. It was two years two before years, that. Okay. So, that, ladies and gentlemen, that's pretty significant. Uh, and it may have gone to his head a little bit. Um, but I just, he has such passion uh, for the game. Well, also remember, the way he did it was he beat, Two former World Series champions on the on the way to winning the championship. They beat the Boston Red, Red Sox, Sox yes. and the Los Angeles uh, Angels, yeah. who had just won World Series before that. Yes, so, absolutely. Very good point. Two oh two for the and in a dominating way. They only lost one game the whole way. It's a great run. Know. He had that team yeah. ready to play, uh, and uh, I think he's a great strategist. Uh, and he's just as a White Sox fan, he's fun. Right. It makes he makes baseball fun, and well, I think Ozzy made a case for it in the uh, post game, uh, uh, the NBC Sports post game uh, shows that he hosts, co hosts. He said, "He goes, look, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I will tell everyone that no one knows this team out there in terms of coaches better than I do because I'm here all the time. I've been a member of this team as a player, as a manager, and now as a analyst." I'm here all the time. I talk to these players. I know these players. No one knows this ball team more than I do. Now, he said also, I'll if they want to consider me, I'll take the call. But I don't know that they necessarily like my ideas for this team. So that may rule me out right off the top of the box. But in terms of the idea that he is qualified and should be considered, I, I totally agree. And, you know, these people are like, well, no, he already had one run with the – I think that's such a bogus – Argument, because first of all, there's precedent for managers coming back and managing the same team. Billy Martin, oh my God, did a ton yeah, of yeah. for for New York, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a guy coming back under different circumstances with different players or whatever, right? The other thing too is you're considering guys like uh, uh, who's the, the the Cub guy, Joe? What's his name? Oh, uh, Madden. Madden. Yeah. yeah, we just don't suck, guy. He just screwed up uh, coaching uh, a team with two of the best players in all of baseball, potential Hall of Famers, and he's coming off of that, and now you want to consider him to helm this team? That's stupid. It's much. It's much. It's a much brighter idea to go back to someone like Ozzy, who has this uh, knowledge and connection to the team, than going for someone you know out there who just came from a fail from a failing stint. With another team, what makes that guy any better than a guy who has been out of baseball for a while? And not not because he's not a good manager, because he's been blacklisted because of you know the comments that he made about Castro that were taken out of context and 
or you know, totally stupid reason for blackballing a guy. But that's the reason why he doesn't get calls in baseball anymore. Not because he's not a a solid manager and a solid tactician. Um, so I kind of hope that Ozzy comes back. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be upset about it. I know there's this whole strand of people about like he had a shot. That was it. We appreciate what he did, but. I'm like, dude, there's nothing that says that he can't come back a little bit more mature, a little bit, you know, with different players, different circumstances. Maybe the reason why his stint fell off at the end was because the team changed, the team, you know, the circumstance became different, and you needed, you know, you needed to recalibrate that team, including getting a new manager. But that doesn't mean that he can't come back. So I'm with you. I'm like, I don't see anybody out there, first of all, who's going to do miracles. You know, and this whole argument that during the season, if we had only fired Tony, that was going to turn the team around. No, it no it wouldn't have. This team had way too many problems to just have some guy give them a pep speech, you know, and turn things around. That shit wasn't going to do yeah, it. In other words, it's not. You, when you say the problems, you mean the injuries? Yeah, the injuries and the, the mainly, yeah, the 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 injuries were the the main thing. There was also some attitude problem, I think that they were too big for their britches in the beginning, uh, thinking that they were going to just take the division easily and they weren't as hungry as they were a couple years ago. So, so the coach can do some some work with that. But it wasn't like Tony fucked it up because he, because Tony's Tony. Well, here's the thing about you know? Tony LaRusso hit the end of his run here. Um, I'm not one of those Tony bashers. In fact, to me, we've had this conversation on the show, uh, I think with Jim Coogan, I can't remember who was it, May Miles Porter, uh, the the younger players on the White Sox seem to have a legitimate uh, appreciation for Tony Larusa as a historical figure. Okay, uh, so I never sensed that uh, they they didn't like him or they stopped playing for him. Um, I just think that the White Sox probably weren't as good as we all thought they were, and. Uh, the injuries really crushed them this year. I mean, it, there's so many of them, and it's just all year long. Uh, but I, this is the thing about uh, Tony, and I'll get your thoughts on this. Baseball uh, is so radically different when it comes to the postseason than it was when I was a kid. It's now sort of like uh, the NBA. It's like who gets hot and how uh, teams – you know, uh, compared to other teams, how you use your pitchers, if your pitchers get hot at the right time. Uh, Tony LaRusso's White Sox were not in any way prepared, I thought, mentally, for last year's postseason. They just didn't look it. They were outclassed by Houston. You and I talked about it a lot off, off the mic. And if I had a criticism of Tony, that was I thought that okay. Now we're gonna watch the great Tony Larusa show you how to make a run like he did with the Cardinals way back when, and they they just that last game, uh, Adolfo. Oh yeah, wow. that, that last game was. I walked out. I walked out of that last game like in the seventh inning. Yeah, yeah, I remember because you. Went I was in. I was in California. My granddaughter was born, and you were here, and we were texting that day and i remember it. yeah i will oh, tell you to come come to the game with me yeah. yeah no i walked out of that game uh because it was before it like really blew up like in the ninth inning i think uh it got even worse um yeah no i think you're right last year they they looked like they ran out of gas um 
yeah, I mean the 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 problems with this team, uh, like I said, are 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 not gonna be just overnight, uh, you know, uh, fixed by the change of a manager. That being said, to the extent that a manager can whip this team into conditions to win a thing, I'm like I'm on board. Ozzy should be considered. I don't know that I don't think he'll get it personally. Even though the I thought I thought I saw that Vegas had him at at the best odds of getting the you know, the, uh, the, the, the job, but I don't think he's going to get it. I would re- be really pissed though. If someone like Joe Madden, got oh my it. God. I, like, all right, yeah. I would be super pissed if he got it. Um, and then from, I don't know enough about the other coaches, but what I do know about the other coaches is that like, like Ozzy, they've lateraled around teams, their whole career. It's not like you're bringing in a, a brand new, fresh face, who has a lot of potential to be a manager or who's come up the ranks and you're going to give them the, the the manager job, you're considering all old guys who have had managing stints that eventually they, 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 they were fired from or they had to leave. So they've had failure also in their background just as much as they've had success. And it's like, well, if you're going to consider one of those dudes, then why not consider Ozzy as well? You can't hold that against Ozzy, but not hold it against those other dudes. Absolutely. Particularly Joe Madden, who uh, is yeah. coming off of two bad stints because he closed down with the Cubs, not <laughs> on the best of stints. Uh, and then it was a disaster with the Angels, absolute disaster with those great uh, superstars uh, that he has. All right, just so for the sake of, of keeping the argument going, I'm going to take the opposite point of view once again with you on this. Uh, you predict he will not get hired. I'm just. I'm I'm, I'm going to try to make it happen. By, I'm going to will it. You know what I'm saying, man? I really want it to happen. I want Ozzy back. I love the post-game interviews. To me, baseball uh, is more than just wins and losses. It's entertaining me, giving me a reason to go to the ballpark. Uh, and uh, I love Ozzy Guillen as a character. Ozzy's the best. But every time I see him on TV, he reminds me like of an uncle. You know, speaking with that broken English uh having that kind of humor and joking around and stuff i'm like dude that that could be my uncle up there you know i'm i love ozzy he's he's the best yeah so i'm going to put it out there i'm going to put it out there ozzy so i'm predicting jerry Reinsdorf will say you know what let's i gave tony larusa another shot i'm giving ozzy Gian another shot you know he's, i'm hoping that happens so i'm going to put that out there that's my prediction and uh you know let's so we'll see what happens who do you outside of ozzy who do you think is the most likely to get? I don't, them out? You know what? It's I, I'm not one of these uh, super baseball geeks that follows like these young managers. Uh, you know what I mean? Like the best brand. It's, it's, it's like football. I got I could go on and we could do a whole show about like who can, who advances in this game. You know what I'm saying? Like what type of person? It's like the prejudices of the people that oversee sporting teams and who they think is smart. And I've watched the Bears. I've, I've, the one thing I have studied are the Bears. They go through all these different coaches. And it ends up saying more about the mindset of the people who run the football team than it does about the people who get selected as coaches. So my guess, it's like somebody who reminds the manager of himself. If I, I mean, someone who reminds the owner or the general manager of himself, which is kind of a weird kind of narcissism. Uh, if you follow me, Adolfo. So I do not know who the leading. I do not believe Joe Madden is a leading candidate. I, How about I, Buck Showalter? 
they've been throwing that oh name my around. God. Right? They, just give me Ozzy. He's just another exactly. You know, That's my point. That's my point. Exactly. With the Mets, this yeah. Year. So, dude, they 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 did they disappoint? Oh yeah, man! Yeah, no, the Cubs, I think, put a sign some bar up on the north side. Put a sign that the the Mets only won uh, what like one more game than the Cubs or something like that. Wow, in the postseason. Cub fans, stop it. Okay, Cub. Fans, <laughs> just my point is that. That they, you know, they 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 were supposed to go far. Yeah, they won a hundred or some games, uh, and uh, but I <laughs> I don't have the hatred for the Mets that Cub fans do. Uh, I I absolutely don't. I was rooting for the Mets. Uh, I was rooting for the Mets yeah, too. Yeah, this post. Oh, okay. So before we go, who are you rooting from from here on? I gotta. I'm rooting for Seattle, dude. That's my Cinderella team right now. Um, I could root for Seattle. I. Uh, I mean, all the teams I like are gone, so I'm just sort of following it. You know what I'm saying? I don't really have a heart in it. I don't really care. Uh, there's no team I absolutely hate. So, like, I really can't stand the Golden State Warriors uh, in basketball for a lot of different reasons. And we have time to talk about Draymond Green. I'll be another time. So I always root against them. So you know what I'm saying? But there's no one in baseball that I've oh, – this is going to show. well the Yankees. I the Yankees, it, right? But I love Aaron Judge. So, uh, but you know what? Let's close it with this. I got to. We'll close with. We're we're talking baseball. I'm getting my baseball Jones out. Do you, are you part of that uh, Lynch mob that's always going after Barry Bonds on uh, home runs for steroids, or do you have a more benevolent attitude uh, toward Barry Bonds' legacy as a hitter? Uh, you know, I think I've I've kind of changed over time. I think I was in the lynch mob for a long time. Now I'm more like, look, dude, he did what everybody else was doing. It wasn't no one specifically prohibited him from doing it. Um, and he still had to hit the damn ball because you could have all the steroids you want in your system and all the strength you want, but if you whiff on balls, you're you know you still got to have those skills to be able to see that damn ball and you know located and you know figure out where it's going to be when you swing because you could be as juiced up as you want but if you can't see that ball you're not going to hit a home run or you could hit it wrong you could hit it far and into somebody's glove or into the into the bleachers uh into the foul line or something right and then whiff the rest of the time so i you know i don't like uh barry as a you know like his personality and his attitude towards the press and towards, uh, you know, like it, kind of in baseball. But I think over time I've kind of softened on it. You know what? The dude hit the home runs, you know. But now they got to they gotta let everybody in. They got to let Pete in. They got to oh, let yeah. all these yeah, other so, you know. Come on. Come on, Cub fans. Cub fans. You talk about him. We started with talking about hypocrites. We'll close with hypocrites. Cub fans and Sammy Sosa. They were cheering him like oh, crazy when he was playing. Yeah. Now suddenly, like, the Cub fans are above it all. You know, yeah, I don't understand that, man. And you know, even you know, like I don't root for the Cubs, but I've liked Cub players throughout history. And Sammy, Sammy was entertaining, man. Oh, but listen, he was a good you know? Barry Bonds in two thousand and two at the plate was one of the most exciting moments I can recall in baseball history. Yeah. It's like those pitchers were always walking him. You know what I mean? Trying to, but every when they when they when they try to pitch to him, you know. It was like very good chance that ball's going 
And so I'm with you. Uh, yeah, and you know, I think, you know, when you look at that uh, 10th inning documentary from Ken Burns, I think basically they explained that, look, Barry Bonds was already an awesome player. And and he and he looked at that that race between Sammy and Mac, and he was like, "Dude, no one is paying attention to me, so now I got to go do what they're doing to get my respect." And the only reason why I did it was because he was capable of actually getting those amounts of home runs. He didn't do it just to stay in the league or because he had a fledgling career and he had to. He was on the margins or something. He did it because. He was already the best, and the best wasn't getting the attention or or accolades that he wanted. So he said, "Well, fuck it, then I'm gonna have to go and play in their game." Yeah. By the way, the hypocrisy of baseball fans. You know, we're supposed to feel guilty for really enjoying the '98 uh, home run showdown between McGuire oh, yeah. and Jones. So one of the most exciting yeah. moments in baseball. This is how weird baseball is. You know, they're like fans are complicit in this too. They were cheering. Yeah, that was exciting. Duh. <laughs> All right, we got to go anyway. We've run out of time. Adolfo Mondragon, I knew. We didn't even get to all those things on our list uh, that we're going to talk to. I guess we'll have to talk about Kanye West later. Uh, And uh, so um, thank you very much, Adolfo, for taking time uh, to talk baseball, politics, uh, and race relations with me on today's show. I also want to thank our dear friend, the producer, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Lane Tech High School, uh, DJ Nate, uh, sitting in for Dr. D, who's on paternity leave. DJ Nate, give yourself a raise. Take it up. Eddie Cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.